you say, I want to know some more. I want to know more about this Christ of whom you're singing. Maybe you're new to this whole program. So I want to know a little bit more about this Christ with whom you're singing about and why everybody's so excited about him. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. Thank you. Good for you. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about him. He's the Son of God, and he has all supremacy. You have a soul, and he's the bishop of that soul, and he's your good shepherd. He's your leader, your redeemer, your savior. He demonstrated his love for you while you were yet a sinner. He died for you. He knows your every need before you ever utter it. And he meets every one of those needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He holds all things together. He's the embodiment of wisdom. And in the book of Revelation, he has hair white like wool and eyes like blazing fire. And written on his sash is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And beside him there is no other. And currently he sits at the right hand of the Father, but he's coming back for everyone in this room who's declared him to be the Lord of their life and has enjoyed the forgiveness of sins. And he will come, overcome death, hell, and the grave and the battle of Armageddon. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be really exciting. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. I want to thank our worship team this morning for their ministry. Amen. Psalm 26 and 8 says, Lord, Lord. The psalmist says, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. Man, I could go for that every now and again. I'd much rather experience the glory of the Lord, the presence of God. If for just one moment, in the 23 hours and 59 other minutes in which the world's in charge. Amen? Maybe you're in a crisis, maybe you're in a storm, maybe you're in a mess, maybe you're in a squivet. You can Google that later. But King David was in a squivet. His son was chasing him with an army kill him. And he wrote these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's the principle? Well, if you really want to be satisfied in this life, you really want to be fulfilled, then be fulfilled with whom Christ is first, not what he can do for you first. Once he satisfies your every need, you then successfully do not place conditions on an unconditional God. Love him for who he is and what he's done in your behalf and make no condition about it. If he never did another thing for you, you still can say, I shall not want. I'm still fulfilled. He is enough in and of himself before he ever does another thing for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He starts out with satisfaction. Now he's talking about reflection. The examined life. Where the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Where you can lay down in his tender grass, his tender mercies. The loving kindness of God, the said of God, is unparalleled in your life. And you rest in him, you live in him, you move in him. 
you lay down and he's tender to you and he puts you beside the still water so you can see your reflection and live the examined life. He plants you by streams of water that shall yield your fruit in season. If you're fretting, if you're anxious, if you're fearful, all of these things are a manifestation of the absence of this kind of reality in your life that he wants you to, he makes you to lie down. If you allow him, he'll make you to lie down in green pastures. Rest, my friend, to your soul. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. Here we go today. He restores. He replenishes. Think of yourself as a store. Your shelves are empty. He'll restock. He'll replenish that which you've given out. If you don't understand this concept, stick around until you do. The Holy Spirit is in you, and he wants out. The Holy Spirit abides in you, and he wants out. He wants out through prayer, through love, through giving, through encouragement, through counseling others, through patience, the fruit of the Spirit dispensed to other people, modeled and witnessed to other people. He wants out, and he wants out into this crazy, lonely, alienated, split down the middle, dichotomized, divided world. He wants out, and he wants to minister to them, and he's limited that for some unknown reason to you. Don't be the person. If you really want to be one who shall not want, then continually empty yourself, and you'll never have a need for anything. Continue to give out to others, you'll never have a need for anything. Continue to be generous and biblical with your resources, you'll never have need of anything. He replenishes, he restores, he restocks your shelves every time they get empty. He restoreth soul. He replenishes, he restocks my soul. He restarts us. I don't know a lot. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the sharpest tack in the drawer. I, I grant you that. I see these people they go to technical school, vocational school, they work for companies like Best Buy. They're part of the geek squad. They're the IT people in large corporations. They have degrees that cost them tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And all I ever see them do is solve a problem, something like this. Well, just turn it off and then turn it back on. That's basically all they ever say. Or if they're smart and they want job security, hey, could I have that for the afternoon? I'd like to take it back to my office, turn it off and turn it back on. It gives you the impression I've been working on it for eight hours. Turn it off and turn it on. That's restoring. Rebooting. It's not that funny. It's really, it's really not that funny. They get worse. Just kidding. He reboots you. When you feel turned off, he'll get you up and run it again. Now, I might as well go ahead and say this. Ma'am, it's not that funny. Just kidding. It really was that funny, actually. I said something the other day. This is off the rabbit trail here. I was texting 
during the Braves game with two of our children and my wife, who was sitting three feet away from me. I still have yet to figure that out. And I went to bed because the game went late. And I woke up the next morning, and I looked at, there were 306 text messages and five innings of baseball. That is absurd. And I wasn't even involved in it. But I did make a comment on one of them. My wife said, you know what? That was actually funny. That was really funny. And I felt like I accomplished something because that's a tough audience. It's a tough audience. I don't make my, anyone in my family laugh. They know what I'm going to say 20 minutes before I say it. So go ahead and enjoy it. It's fine. He reboots us. He reboots your soul, more importantly. Now, keep in mind, he's not just restoring and rebooting. He's restoring and rebooting and replenishing your soul. Okay, what does that mean? What's David talking about there? Because his soul right now probably feels a bit depleted. If he doesn't have any anxiety, he might be a sociopath at this time. If he's not a little bit concerned about an army of 10,000 people bearing down on him, he might have some emotional issues. I mean, it's reasonable to think that he's a little anxious. My goodness, Jesus was anxious in Gethsemane. So, you know, don't set the bar so high for yourself that you can't have some anxiety. Sometimes it's actually called for. So he restoreth my soul. How? Well, the replenishing and the restoration and the rebooting and the reviving of one's soul necessitates two words that start with R. One of them you hear all the time, the other you need to hear a lot more often, as do I. The first is repentance. R words are very important in the Bible. Revival, repentance, restoration. But this one right here is key. You really want to jumpstart your walk. You really want to come back. You've been wandering off. You faded off. You're in a dry season. You're in an arid season of your walk. It's been a while. You really know you need to come home. You feel awkward about it. You need an R word. What is it? It's a word that's not used near enough in this culture and needs to be, <laughs> it needs to be on our lips constantly, frankly, and it's renounce. We need to get to where we're not always just repenting of our sin. We need to hear ourselves renounce it. I remember seven, 8,000, I don't know what it was. Kyle and I were out there in India one time, and five, six, 7,000 people over a three-night period of time, and they're Hindus, more, more, more of them are Hindus than anything, and what good would it be to call them to the altar in the presence of God and accept Jesus Christ as God? It wouldn't, it wouldn't do anybody any good because they, they have three million gods. What's another one? See, but it's another ballgame altogether when they renounce 2,999,999 and accept the one. There are things in our life that need renouncing Maybe you don't have a large ongoing sin that easily entangles you. Maybe you don't have strongholds that really grip you. But maybe you're like Nehemiah, and you confess the sins of your nation. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm no goofball. I understand you understand. I understand that you understand our nation's in trouble, 
and, and it needs Christ. I know you know that. Well, how do we pray along those lines? Somebody ought to start confessing the sins of our own people, as did Nehemiah chapter 1. And at the same time, why don't we start renouncing this, this stuff that's going on in the world? At least we know where we stand. At least people know. So start renouncing things, calling it down, bringing down these idols. That's why we have a prayer service tonight at 6 o'clock. Repent and renounce. He restores my, what, soul. What is your soul? Well, it's best understood as a seat, S-E-A-T, a seat. Something that's been put there that is established and getting up from that seat are various things. If you've taken your soul and you've subjected it to some kind of ongoing sin, the seat of your soul is, is established and your soul acts on that sin. It's not unaffected by it. If you're, if you're wallowing in some sort of sin on an ongoing basis for year after year, decade after decade, it, it actually affects the way you see other people, the way you think about other people, and how you act upon what you see and think. And it's seated. It's like it's there and it ain't going anywhere unless we start repenting, renouncing, and letting it die on the vine. It needs to be crucified with Christ. So there's three seats in your soul. The first is your seat of thought. How do you think? What David's really saying here is he restoreth, reboots, revives, replenishes, restocks the way that I think, the way that I want for things, and the way that I feel. Opportunities will be presented to this congregation in the next 14 months. Retreats will be offered to this congregation, four, maybe six a year, that will afford you the opportunity to go off and focus on specific areas that we are in need of dealing with, but also others are in need of dealing with, and we'll learn how to do that. Because this congregation is so ripe for a deeper level of maturation and sanctification beyond any level you've ever experienced before. And we have a plan to do that. But you're going to have to listen and you're going to have to act on the word. There's some renouncing that needs to happen. There's some repentance that needs to happen. There's some maturity that needs to take place that changes the way we think. Do you have on most all issues in your life, a renewing of your mind going on, or are you conforming to the patterns of this world? Well, there's a transformation that God wants to take place in your life where he renews the way that you think. Neuropathways, if you want to look at it biologically, anatomically, neuropathways are just established in your brain, dopamine release, all these things take place biologically in us because we, we tend to think the same way about the same things. We're not open to any kind of different perspective on anything. Well, that's, that could be okay if the, if the issue is right. It's not okay if it's not the mind of Christ. We need to merge those two things together. 1 Corinthians 2 and 16, 4, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. How do you think? Uh, those of us in recovery 
you know what I'm talking about. You've established a pattern of thought and (coughs) perceiving the world that that is not to be easily changed. It's seated. It's fixed. And you've got to You've got to get in the word. You've got to deal with some issues. You've got to go deep. You've got to go low. You've got to go humble. You've got to be teachable because we need to think differently. Some of you have been out in the world for so, so long. You just came to Christ here recently, and you're still thinking along the lines you used to think, and it won't work for you. There's, there's a reconciling. There's a day coming when you're going to have to let it go. You can't be out there on your own thinking you're being discipled. You're not. You need to understand that we need to think differently about things, not as the world thinks. The second seat is the seat of desires or your will, your mind, your will, and your feelings, your emotions. How many of you were strong-willed children? Did, <laughs> why did I ask the question? I kind of I knew who would raise their hand. That was funny. This... This came up uh, somewhere along the line. I don't know. Somebody writes a book about it, and all of a sudden it becomes a thing. A strong-willed child. How do you how do you react to a strong-willed child? I think God's asking the same question. He's got <laughs> he's got billions of followers, but among the billions of followers, he's got like I don't know seven hundred million strong-willed children, right? I don't know if you're in that category or not, or if you raised your hand. But the fact that you're laughing tells me you understand it on some level. Strong-willed children. Listen, it takes meat, not milk, to overcome that. Where you're defiant, where you won't change, where you're stubborn, you're not easily pliable. To put it in a metaphorical sense, he's the potter and you're the clay, but the clay is hardened and it's hard to mold anymore. It more cracks than shapes. You got it all figured out, see? Well, some of us are that way. Well, God love you. He does. But I, 1 Corinthians 3 and 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. But the time is coming, my friend, when you will be ready. Hebrews 5 and 14, but solid food is for the mature. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. If I had to say, when you come to church here, you probably get more solid food than you do milk. And with it is an expectation and, I would say, even a challenge. You know what I'm talking about. You scratch your head and go, by the time you're halfway to your car, you go, I want to keep going to that church. What is this? It's hard to digest sometimes. And sometimes it shakes us. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But we have to develop a taste for mature things. We have to develop a taste for um, not being so strong-willed and stubborn. Now, because I say stubborn, it doesn't mean that every area of your life you meet with stubbornness. There are certain areas of your life specifically, certain behaviors, certain, even I would say addictions, certain crutches that are there and have been there for a long time. There's a physiological demand. There's a spiritual demand. There's an emotional connection. There's a a lot of things working right there. That's strong-willed. That's a stronghold. That's a foothold that's become a stronghold. What's a foothold? A foothold is where you're going to put your foot on the mountainside when you're climbing a rock, and by looking at it, you're saying, I guess that's going to support my weight, so I'll go ahead and stake my life on it. I'll put my foot there. 
If you give the devil a foothold, you've given him somewhere in your back a place to put his foot where he ain't falling off. He's going he's to be speaking in your ear about something for a long, long time. And that foothold becomes a stronghold. Some of us have strong-willed children. We understand this. We have to develop a taste for the things of God so that our desires change. Is it just me, or is the Food Network become like this mega industry? Like, I can remember when, uh, when I was a kid, I'd get up in the morning, and if I wasn't watching cartoons or something, maybe they might cook something on the Today Show every now and again, you know, with a camera over the casserole or something. Now it's turned into this multi-cabillion dollar industry whereby a chef is on par with a five-star general can tell you anything about what you need to do and when to do it, and everyone bows before him. And then they get together, and they, it's almost like they make stuff up. Is this really all that's necessary to have a meal? Like, I need to talk about the balance of the spices and the texture and the flow and the presentation. I'm just like, I just get a bowl of Rice Krispies, and I'm fine with it. They've turned this thing into this science and, and, and it's the same thing I see happening in our culture today, this craft beer phenomenon. You can't go to Asheville without seeing, I don't know, eight breweries by the time you get to Arden. They all have their own beer, their own taste, their own tanks, their own barley, their own hops. And I'm like, what's going on here? And, and what's going on is, just like you wine tasters, people are wanting to develop a taste for something. They don't want anything overly bitter. They want a tinge of sweetness. And they want their Christianity to be palatable, digestible, acceptable, and personal. And the Lord in the middle of all of that says, listen, I know you all are different. You have different backgrounds, different desires, different perspectives, different preferences, different opinions, different favorites, whatever the case may be. This is what God says to you this morning. Taste of me. Taste of me. And see that I am good. You can, you can be a connoisseur on so many different things, on so many different, a plethora of levels. If, yet, if you have yet to desire, uh, develop a taste for God, what have you done? What have you done? Taste and see that I am good. I am, he says, the bread of life. His texture, his aftertaste, everything is satisfying, fulfilling, acceptable and award-winning. If you're on the edge of this whole thing we call Christianity, I invite you to take a step or two inward towards him. Just a couple steps. I'm not asking you to come a mile. Just a couple steps. Even today, just a step. I need to know more about what this man speaks of. Too many people trying to get you to go too far too fast. I'm asking you for a step. Maybe that step is to open the Bible this week and begin to read from the book of John and watch him reboot your life, replenish your shelves, restore your soul, get you thinking differently, and get you wanting differently. 
and you're cultivating a taste for things of righteousness, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. This is what you're looking for. Seed of emotions. You really want to understand emotions? I've thought about this. Look into God's emotions and their genesis and their uh, motivation. God, God has emotions, and he's, but he's not, and he's emotional, but he's not big on emotionalism. He feels, he grieves, he's angry, he's joyous, he's jealous. Okay, he has those emotions, but the genesis of those emotions is love, and the motivation of those of those uh, emotions is is fellowship. He wants the fellowship with you. He wants you to be his friend. And when you're not, he grieves. When you grieve, he grieves. When you hurt, he hurts. He absorbs pain. He, he wants you to know he understands what you're going through because he himself in the form of a man went through it himself. He's not giving you a head trip. He experienced it. Falsely accused, wrongdoing, abuse, grief, loss, loneliness, frustration, Fatigue, exhaustion, burnout. He's, he's, he's got the whole thing. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, depression, tears. He knows all of that. You can relate to him. He's not so far off, so disconnected, so, so far beyond. It's not an academic pursuit. You don't have to know any more than a third grader. He's there waiting on you to taste and see that he's good. Your seat of emotions. You're never going to feel exactly the way you think you need to feel to start a life of following him. It's not like that. You follow him, and in response, you feel different. There's no perfect scenario, no crossing of 12 different criteria at the same time in the same day for you to come to Christ. Forget all of that. He's there waiting, calling you each and every day and grieving the loss of a friendship with you. A friendship, my friend, he died to have. An eternal life he died to give you. And a cleansing of your soul he provided with his own blood. Seed of emotions. And then the psalmist closes with this. He leads me in the path of righteousness. I know this is some of your favorite verse, Proverbs 3, 5. And six, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Psalm 16 and 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Mark 1 and 3, a voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. The psalmist, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. I'm beginning to think differently, feel differently, want differently, because he's leading me, leading me in paths of righteousness. I know, I know it makes sense to many people 
to stop sinning when they, when, they, when they want to turn over a new leaf in the world, stop their behavior. That is actually true. I know in a recovery program, I know you're trying to stop a behavior, stop a sinful addiction. I get that. But I'm here to tell you that will only take you so far. I would say more often than not, you're going to come back to it. Has anybody had a January 1st New Year's resolution that didn't make it to Valentine's Day? Anybody? Probably not in this church. The goal is, is not simply to stop doing something. If that's, your, if that's your perspective, it's wrong. Your real goal is to be so in love with him, so enamored with him, so captivated by him, so longing to be with him, so missing him, that you want him more than you want the sin. It's much easier to love and be, be, be totally captivated by the splendor of Christ. That is so much easier than to grit your teeth and stop doing something. If you turn it backwards, you make, I make my point. When you're so enamored with the sin, it keeps you from being captivated by him. You're not trying to be perfect. Trying to love he who is. The end result is freedom from a sin that so easily entangles you and ruins your life. The devil wants you focused on the sin. Spirit wants you focused on the Father. Don't take the bait. Taste and see that he is good. Why? For his name's sake. What do you mean his name's sake? What does his name mean? The way he would do it, the manner he would do it, in keeping with his nature, the essence of who he is, in keeping with the nature of his heart, in sync with his word, in sync with glorifying the Father. In his name is to do something in the essence, the character, the, the tone, the timber, whatever it is that he would do it, in his name is to do it as he would do it, with the same motivation, with the same love, with the same conviction, with the same want to in his name. If you're going to pray in his name, pray in his name. But if you're not going to pray in his name, don't say in his name. In his name is a serious thing. In keeping with, in sync with, entrenched in the truth. You want to live for Christ, glorify his name, then understand what you've just said. You are totally incapable of doing so without his intervention, without his spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you, my friend, and he wants out. Let's pray. You're here today, and maybe you feel like you've been hit upset by a two-by-four this morning. You didn't see that coming. Sitting here this morning, you're actually contemplating a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're, you're at a point where you can begin to see that uh, maybe you've tasted enough today to know that this takes serious evaluation. That being the Lord of your own life is 
pales in comparison to being a follower of the Lord. Who knows what's motivated in your life? What you do of the motivation of unforgiven sin? Who knows what that is? If you're here today and you say, yeah, I do want to take a step closer to Christ. I may not be ready. Maybe I am. I just want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Anybody here? Thank you. So honest. Thank you. God loves that honesty. Good for you. Anyone else? All right. You don't have to know who it is. Let's just pray for this young lady. Raised her hand. Let's do that. Lead her, Lord, by the hand. Make her to lie down in green, tender pastures. Wash over her with the loving kindness of God. And give her a sense of rest and peace, satisfaction. Let her live the examined life. And through her examination, she sees she has a need of you. A deeper need than she ever realized. And an easier commitment she's never made. I pray that you would lead her, Father, and restore her soul. She may think differently, desire different things, but she would desire, d- delight in you and you would give her the desire of her heart. That she would not be ruled by her feelings, but by the truth, and the truth would set her free. But you overwhelm her with love, overwhelm her with grace, overwhelm her with mercy, overwhelm her with loving kindness, overwhelm her with the tender mercies of God and the patience of God. Befriend her in a marvelous, splendid, real, authentic, life-transforming way. You are the potter and she is the clay. Mold and shape her into the life you want. Put a path before her lit by the word of God that leads to the highest most joyous, purposeful life she never even knew, imagined could happen. And do it one step at a time. Bless her. Overwhelm her with love. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the essence and character and nature, the strong and merciful Son of God. And everyone said, Amen. And amen. Need healing this morning. I want you to stand. We're going to pray for healing this morning. Our friend at ICU, I think, I don't know for sure. I last saw him this week. He was headed for rehab. Amen. How about that? <laughs> headed for rehab. All right, we need healing. I want to, if you're around someone who's standing, I just want you to place their hand on them. If that's okay with you, place your hand on them. We're going to pray that the Lord would touch you. I don't know what kind of healing you need this morning. It doesn't matter. We don't have to know. God knows. God's the shepherd. He knows every imperfection in every sheep. And you shall not want. Father, I pray you would touch these people. And even those of us who have an illness and don't even know about it, spare us out of your abundant love and grace, according to your namesake. By the authority of your word and the blood of Jesus Christ, make whole that which is not, straight that which is crooked. 
make a way where there seems to be no way and release these people that they be subject to no illness, no disease, no malady, no heart condition, no back issue, no spinal issue. Grant them a, a deposit, a forward deposit on a glorified body that they may testify of how good you are, how gracious you are, how loving and kind you are. Be their healer. Jehovah Rapha, heal in this place, we pray. Confirming your word with signs following, everyone said, amen. All right, let's close with this, and then we'll have a benediction. We'll, we'll go on home. <laughs>